Mm-hmm. How, if you have no record of an action having taken place, do you prove that a person was discriminated against? Right. How, if you have no evidence of the effect an AI has had on the mindset of a child, do you prove the psychological manipulation that caused them to be enslaved to a social gaming app? How do you prove any of that? And so this rush towards privacy will fundamentally undermine our ability to maintain a a version of society that we believe is correct and proper. And that at the moment, we perceive all of the negative things that are taking place as being related to governments and surveillance, Mm -hmm. only because the companies who have control over that simply cover up the negative things that they do. Because big tech companies own the, the relationship with you, why on earth would they willingly tell you that they've done a bad thing with your data? Ever met a person whose predictions always come true, but no one ever believes him at first? Meet Nick from London a tech profit who founded People.io in 2015, a startup ahead of its time that gives people control over the access, use and value of their personal data. The Nasdaq Rising Star's recent startup, 48.io, provides real-time transparency for artificial intelligence, facial recognition and COVID-19 surveillance. Listen to a high school dropout's learning from selling web domains at the age of 15 to spearheading human rights in the online world. Please welcome Nick. Yeah, yeah well, every, everything we're working on with 48 is um, coming to fruition <laughs> like yeah. a lot, lot faster than um, people I have people worked and failed um, because of time. Uh, everything was just moving too slow. So that gave us the time to succeed, but it also caused, caused us to have too much time, which was the resulting um, failure. Whereas 48 seems to be the case that um, we predicted a few things would happen. Mm-hmm. No one believed us, which was the same with people I owe. Yeah. Um, and they're all coming true just very, very, very fast. So we don't really have any way to kind of go back to people and say, we said this was going to happen, like quick, help <laughs> us out to, to do the next thing. Because yeah. like, it's just like, it's a, it's a bit of a whirlwind. Yeah, but it's, it's really good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, quite, it's quite amazing how, how this whole... Uh... Uh, you know, episode is like, and uh, you know, I say it's the great awakening, especially yes. in the technology world, right? And everything is just getting accelerated. A decade from now, we would have assumed all this to happen, and it's happening in weeks right now, right? It's just amazing. So the true. Speed of all of this, yeah. It is so true. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's um, quite mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So great. I mean, I really appreciate uh, you being able to spend this half an hour or so with me. And, uh, you know, I know you're super busy with the new startup, if I, if I may call it, and uh, a lot of great work. I've been reading up a lot about you and the website. and It's so amazing. You're right in the midst of all that action, right? I'm sure how you must be feeling. <laughs> must be awesome. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's, it's it, I um I had a walk and talk meeting this morning with um with an investor, not an investor in us, but just someone that I've known for a while who whose opinion I trust, and uh, we we're just kind of talking about what we're doing, and 
-hmm. it's, it's probably the first time, it's certainly the first time I've done it in person uh, because we've been in lockdown for four months and, and that's mm -hmm. kind of how long business has existed. So I, I hadn't had the opportunity to kind of talk through it really in, in person with someone and, and see how they responded to, to what I'm working on. And it was fascinating because it, like, it, it just got me so energized about, yeah. I guess what I, I like to think I'm very lucky that I, I, um, I've only ever really done things that I care about uh, and, and feel have some level of purpose. And, and this, to my mind, just it kind of has that in spades. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Just kind of that challenge of get it done. <laughs> yeah. That is the problem. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's absolutely epic. And I, it's interesting how I say epic and then I say Nick. It almost rhymes together, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, you know, we had a chat years ago, right, in France when, when we met. Um, and it, it's so amazing that you're so ahead of everything. You were thinking <laughs> on, on behalf of the... Uh, you know, humans in general, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, every, I mean, everybody and humanity and thinking of human rights a decade ago when everybody didn't have any idea as to what was happening to them or beginning yes. to happen to them with, with the whole advertising world, looking at behavioral data to really uh, drive a lot of decision making. And at that point, you know, I remember with that, uh, you know, with the work you were doing with people.io. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, I could see your heart in it, you know, and it's where, you know, I mean, if I could be honest, uh, you know, at that point, I said, my God, I haven't seen anybody in the tech space with a heart like yours, like you absolutely entrenched in helping everyone understand shit is going to break loose if you don't own your bloody data. Yeah, <laughs> right? it's right? so true. So true. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I could see that and I could see you almost, you know, there in terms of helping, you know, everyone understand. But I, I don't know, how do I explain this? Like, and you know, I could understand you. I wasn't sure of the brands and the, you know, humans in general um, are able to understand your view on why or own the data, right? Mm. And years later, I now talk to you and you're now with another startup and you are again in the midst of it with your heart, your soul and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just amazing how now, you know, you got those believers, right? In some way now. Yeah, it's, um, I, and, and so I, I I, I had the, the great fortune of speaking with a couple of, uh, couple of people today who are just really kind of mind-blowing types of people. And, and just kind of, they, they come from a very different type of background to me. So I, I have no education, really. I kicked out of school after GCSEs. And, and these are kind of... Good for you. Very, very well-educated, <laughs> kind of well-read people. And, yeah. and um, it's so interesting chatting with, with them someone like that at, at times because it, it is so interesting to see how kind of the thinking kind of overlaps and it's just coming at it from a different point of view and that mine is more born out of a need for, for well not I guess my own personal need for people to understand the things that I'm mm -hmm. passionate about um, not necessarily because they they should need to care about them although I, I guess I believe they should but more that simply through um, 
wanting them to understand, it would at least let them make the informed decision about whether they should need to continue understanding that or not. And then until they have that initial indication, there's no point. Uh, it, it's it, like they're, they're, they're kind of without this important piece of knowledge. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I almost envy you in some way. Uh, I, I, and I hope you understand why, Nick. Uh, so I was just looking up your profile and I didn't know that you were a dropout and you had done arts in the beginning, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking you started off with arts and then you moved, I guess, into the tech space, the creative tech kind of space in some way. And and at this point, you are like a human rights evangelist, if I may call you that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, exactly. Right? So if you can just help me understand how did this you know, in some ways happen and at what stage did you decide that here's what I'm going to do with my life? It happened recently or a few of or a few a few years back because you know each one of us have, have our own discovery or our journeys, right? And I'm trying I'm yeah. trying to understand yours in some way. Yeah. I interesting question or, or interesting way of framing the question. Um so when, when I was young, uh, when I was 12, I bought some web domains. Um, mm. uh, and, and the reason I bought the web domains, and I mean, I sold them as well, but the, the reason I, I bought them and, and, and eventually sold them wasn't because I wanted to make money. Um, it was because I wanted to meet the people to whom the domains related. It was the second series of Pop Idol. Um, and as this 12-year-old as this kid, I was like, oh, I'd really like to meet those people. They're, they're on a stage. It's kind of typical mm. kind of preteen yeah. stuff like aspiration to, to meet these famous people mm. and to my mind I, I had to find a way of doing it within the, the, the kind of things I had available to me um, I didn't have a car so I couldn't drive to go and see them I didn't have their phone number so I couldn't call them um, I didn't I had no relationship with them and so my my kind of brain led me down the path of saying okay well if I own their web domain then they'll have to talk to me <laughs> um, so that was, that was kind of where it all started. Uh, and um, I eventually did get to speak and meet with a, a number of them. And um, uh, in fact, through, through that process, uh, that was where I learned how to build websites. Um, and that was where I also then learned business. And I, I learned about secondary trademarks and passing off um, and, and some of those, those legal constructs. So by the age of 15, I'd already had like a pretty interesting start to life where I had a, a very limited but kind of somewhat reasonable knowledge of um, business and the law within the, the space of digital trademarks and, and other things, uh, how to build websites. I was hiring freelancers to, to build technology for me. So I understood the relation between different um, aspects of the workforce. And so all of that was at 15. And then when I got kicked out of school at 16, it was because I wasn't academic enough. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And, and it, I mean, rightfully so, because I would spend most of my time in class spending more time working out how to get around the task that I was being set by the teacher than doing the task itself. <laughs> um, and so that, I guess, in some ways, probably made me a bit of a lateral thinker. Um, because instead, instead of receiving a, a set of directions and then following them in, in the way that I was being directed to, I was, I was basically doing everything but that. And mm. so it meant that I, in most cases, had to keep thinking of new ways of doing things. Um, so that, that was kind of where it all started. And, and you're right, I, I did work in the arts for a bit. So I, I studied at university. I studied recording arts. Um, mm. And I say studied at university. I was kicked out of school after GCSEs. Um, so I found a loophole in the system that meant I could still get a UK 
um, validated degree, but it meant I had to move to Australia to do it. Um, and that I would be able to do it in a short period of time. Uh, and it would be in something that I, I enjoyed. So anyway, I studied for a year, dropped out of the course I was doing. So I ended up working in the Sydney Opera House. Um, I, I had this fantastic opportunity to work with an incredible um, recording engineer, Doug Brady. And my thesis that I was writing was on a, on a very specific topic, which was the use of electrocardioid mics in a, on live string instruments in a live rock concert environment. Uh, so a very specific set of kind of circumstances. And it just so turned out that um, this engineer, Doug Brady, was working on, a, on a, an event in the Sydney Opera House a, a number of weeks after I met him. And he invited me to, to help support him on it. Um, and so I, I worked on that and, and I ended up dropping out of university and, and kind of fast forward a number of years, um, ended up working in agencies. Um, mm. And I was always like the, <laughs> I was always the, the kind of awkward uh, person in the agency world because everyone in agencies at least the most for the most part the people that, that I worked alongside had followed a specific vertical within that agency world they had started as a, as a grad or an intern they had then kind of worked their way up in copy or art or account management or one of the specific verticals and that was i guess still when when in the creative department you still have creative teams of art and copy and i, I appreciate that's changing now but everyone around me was, was kind of following these verticals and, and the first agency i was in was a below the line agency so it was typically mm. project management creative mm. or, or web design ux strategy sure and um yeah i spanned all of them uh, i was the worst project manager in the world um <laughs> Uh, as, as Shram, my colleague, will attest to, I was absolutely terrible. But my God, I was good at getting clients to think differently about their business and then spend more money. And that wasn't because I was good at sales. In fact, I'm terrible at sales. I, I hate closing deals. Because to me, the interest uh, lies in getting a person to understand the opportunity, not mm -hmm. then getting them to follow on with that. Because it is not my role in the world mm -hmm. to tell a person what to do. Like if... if if, if you don't understand the value to your own self or your own business of doing the thing that you have by your own admission acknowledged is a good thing to do, mm -hmm. well, who am I to, to tell you to do it? Right. So, um, so all that you can do is give that visibility and that understanding of the opportunity, right? That's exactly it. Yeah. And so that, that kind of is, is the long, long winded version of, of, of saying that I, my, I guess the purpose in my life is I like to make stuff. I like to build things. I like to um, I like to get people to understand things through being able to show it to them because certainly I've I've had a lot of experience where people simply don't believe what I what I say. <laughs> um, my 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 very good friend who I worked with when I worked in advertising, Helen Ectors, she was the global creative business director in WPP um, in on the the account that I worked on. She was incredible. I, I reported to Toby Barlow, who's Global Chief Creative Officer, who was this phenomenal, um, phenomenal um, mind and creative vision. Mm -hmm. And uh, he would always point out to me the reason that I worked well in creative, even though I didn't fall into any of the typical teams, was because I understood enough about the, the, the kind of entire process and the cycle to protect mm -hmm. the work, the creative, to protect it and make sure that we were innovating and doing different things. And, and Helen, um, she would always refer to me as Cassandra because uh, I had the gift <laughs> of foresight, but the, mm. the, 
the um, uh, the curse that no one would listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It's almost yeah. a reincarnation of Cassandra, right? Yeah, and uh, <laughs> so, it's, so it's quite funny. And people I owe, I guess, was somewhat demonstrative of that. But um, where I was doing it for myself as my own business, in in some respects, I suffered the greatest consequence, which you you don't typically suffer in a in a big organization because you've you've always got the protection of the organization. But when when you're building your own business if you can't get people to believe you, uh, then, then unfortunately, sometimes the business just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, it's so true, it's so true. So at this point, I wanted to ask you, uh, I'm sure you feel really excited about what you're doing right now, but what is keeping you awake at night in terms of, in general, it could be related to this whole uh, uncertainty uh, or, or it could be really your own, startup and where things are or it could be i don't know it could be stuff that is slightly more closer to your heart yeah um good question um stuff that keeps me up at nights anxiety i have huge anxiety and the anxiety is it's not the fear of missing out for, for my own self-interest. It's the fear of missing out of an opportunity to solve the bigger problem. Mm. Um, and there are few opportunities in each person's life right. and, and arguably even, even to, to a greater degree in the, in the world of startups. There are very few opportunities to have the right timing to right. do an idea. Timing yeah. is everything. And with this new idea that I've been working on, I had originally not done anything about it. I, I kind of wrote up the idea about nine months ago. Um, and I'd, I'd put it on the shelf because I didn't feel the market opportunity would show itself for another four to eight years. Um, and when uh, COVID-19 came along, um, the opportunity presented itself, not, for, not to think of it as an opportunistic kind of yeah way of doing it but but more that there was suddenly this common understanding in the minds of a consumer as to why there was a need for this idea i had had um mm. which demonstrates kind of a certain level of market maturity which is timing so mm. so at the moment um yeah the thing the thing that keeps me up is is like a, a pretty <laughs> a pretty extreme level of anxiety i mean it really does get me um i mean i can imagine if everything around you is now beginning to believe you and everything you predicted and now they want uh the goods right they want the goods to be delivered and you're like oops i never thought you'll ask me like now right exactly now. <laughs> yeah, this, <laughs> like, i mean this, this is exactly it uh, like it is um it is something where i mean and, and even today I've, I've had this conversation with a number of people um about this anxiety because in the back of my head, I, I had planned on self-funding uh, this new business uh, because I knew the opportunity was a number of years away and I didn't want the pressure of investment to, to kind of sway the direction of it um, or, or really also to, to kind of constantly be, be around my neck while I was, I was still working out what on earth the opportunity was. Sure. Um, whereas now the anxiety is very much the opposite. It is, it is this anxiety of, do we have what it takes to compete with those who are saying they do similar things mm -hmm. while not actually doing the same thing? And, and that comes down to advertising. I mean, a great example of that mm -hmm. is um, 
Facebook. When Facebook came out and said they're privacy first, they didn't really change anything they did. They just bought some more ads. Um, and, and so the, this anxiety comes out of, I, I don't want to... I don't want to let people down, I guess. There's, there's, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want I people to think that I missed the opportunity and yeah. that either that then made me wrong as a result yeah. of missing it and therefore they don't trust my next opinion of, of what might be taking place mm -hmm. or, um, or that as a result of missing it, it has is, it is undermined a person's ability to benefit from what we would have otherwise launched. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, if I could add to that, the recently I've seen that video which you had up on LinkedIn. And mm. one of the things I could see is a genuine need for transparency is what you were trying to tell people that you, you know, these things are happening right under your eyes, you know, uh, as I mean, uh, you know, as an example, you said that the, uh, you know, the whole tracking app and, and the APIs are being installed on your phone be it Google or Apple. Uh, and I mean, are you even aware of it? Right? Yeah. Uh, and I can understand you're anxious about, uh, in some ways, ensuring that humans across the world don't, uh, you know, understand this whole issue and really act upon it. I mean, and and in some ways, really understand uh, the importance of data, right? So. I mean, if you can just speak to me a little bit about this, you know, in a little bit of depth and elaboration. Reason being, I want everyone to just simplify the understanding of why they should own the data and, mm -hmm. and, and how does it really affect human rights in general, right? Why? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think everybody really understands this. You and I, in some ways, have been in agencies and worked with brands and we, you know, and, you know, in some ways understand this at a very grassroots level, however, the layman doesn't. And every time we speak in a way that is very advertising or very brand led, <laughs> you know, we lose, right? A lot of the, yeah. you know, humans, we want to really help. Yes. So just help You're absolutely right. a little bit about why, you know, how, how does it affect you, you, you know, human rights mm. as such and, and why now? Right. Yeah. So, so I guess the, the first and most important um, part is to, is to talk about the difference between data and intelligence. And since PeopleIO, so PeopleIO was more driven by this, this need for people to control their data. Mm -hmm. um, and I've since moved on from that mindset, not because I don't think that that still needs to occur, but because I, I find myself very challenged by how achievable that outcome is at sure. scale. Um, and so the reason I say that is because if you look at um, technology regulation and policy as a whole, typically any effort to solve the problem is focused on addressing the cause of the problem. Uh, regulation introduces consent, um, technology encrypts the data to make it unavailable. Um, and, and policy is all about getting companies to behave more responsibly about what they ask people to collect and then, and then how they're processing it. So this mm -hmm. focus on the cause, um, either require, in order to succeed, either requires um, a consistent large-scale implementation of clear regulation that everyone globally buys into, um, and is fully enforceable and enforced, 
or it requires on the technological side, a company of sufficient scale to deploy a solution such that uh, it, it will affect the world. And what we see there is examples where Google for, for as a reference, they make the decision to get rid of third party cookies and suddenly the whole industry has to deal with it. Well, it's just unfortunate. The company that's making these decisions is one of the companies that arguably is, is part of the problem. Yeah. Um, so, so I've moved beyond thinking about the cause. And so with 48, um, my new venture, it's called 48 because 1948 was the year human rights were first ratified by the United Nations. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so with 48, we seek to address the effect, um, the effect of data's misuse. And the effect is caused through bringing transparency or the effect is solved or, or, or certainly brought to people's attention through bringing transparency to the effect um, of facial recognition, artificial intelligence, and other such technologies. Mm -hmm. so, so kind of summarizing what 48 does and, and to, your, to your question and why it's important. Um, if you think about privacy, which a lot of people argue is the thing we are all seeking and from technology companies and governments and, and whatnot, we, we are seeking privacy. Privacy is just one of your 16 fundamental human rights. Mm -hmm. And in order to achieve privacy, we are fast moving down this path where we are saying technologically, everything should be encrypted, everything. Yeah. We are saying uh, no data should be stored for long than it is absolutely critical that it be stored. We are saying zero knowledge proof should be used. We are saying all of these different technologies should be used. You should move compute to the edge. So it's not being done in central server houses. Yeah. All of this under the guise of protecting a person's privacy. Yeah. But what of the other 15 fundamental human rights? Mm -hmm. How, if you have no record of an action having taken place, do you prove that a person was discriminated against? Right. How, if you have no evidence of the effect an AI has had on the mindset of a child, do you prove the psychological manipulation that caused them to be enslaved to a social gaming app. How do you prove any of that? Mm. And so this rush towards privacy will fundamentally undermine our ability to maintain a, a version of society that we believe is correct and proper. And that at the moment, we perceive all of the negative things that are taking place as being related to governments and surveillance only because the companies who have control over that simply cover up the negative things that they do. Because big tech companies own the, the relationship with you, why on earth would they willingly tell you that they've done a bad thing with your data? And we're not talking here about data breaches. Mm -hmm. I don't care really about the underlying personal data. That's a very kind of sloppy statement to say, but like if, if Google, um, if, if your Gmail account gets hacked, well, that happens all the time. The yeah. thing to be more worried about is the effect a company like Google or Facebook or others have on your lives through the intelligence they are able to create about you, the restaurants you go to, the locations you're in. This is why the, the contact tracing solution is so fundamentally scary yeah. because everyone says, well, it's all at the edge. It's all uh, anonymous identifiers uh, from, from your device. Well, number one, those anonymous identifiers sound familiar. They sound like the advertising industry. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, this, this is exactly what the advertising industry does. And no one likes that. But as, so, for so long as it's Google and Apple doing it, it must be fine. 
Yeah. And this is kind of the problem that the second the government does something, we say yeah. it's surveillance. The second big tech does it, it's innovation. And yeah. that mindset has come about because big tech doesn't let you see the negative effects of what they're doing. When the Edward Snowden revelations came out, mm-hmm. everyone went mad at governments for accessing the data. Well, take a moment to think about where that data was held. Mm-hmm. Yes, the government was accessing it, but my God, who had it originally? So the, the, the problem here is we're, we're all running towards this idea of privacy and that big tech is good, government is bad. No one is able to make an informed decision on that. Why? Mm-hmm. Because there's no visibility on the true effect that is being caused by governments or big tech. And I would, I would strongly argue that actually, if you were to see that effect, you would be scared to death of the effect technology has on your life. That's true. To an, uh, I mean, I think Nick, to a very large extent, you're right. Um, but on the other hand, um, if the government or say religion, as an example, which is quite strong in India, mm. as an example, has a play over how a human thinks, how an individual thinks, then they are unable to weigh the good and bad. And then in some ways, they aren't doing the right thing. Uh, and in some ways also, you know, it's hurting them, right? Uh, and to that, uh, you know, I wanted to just slightly, you know, move towards racial discrimination, mm. right? And is what in some ways we are, we are seeing in the US as well, right? Um, you know, if you keep all the data in front of humans in general, I mean, all humans aren't built equally, right? Everybody has their own qualifications, education, experiences, uh, age, religion, gender, and you know, you can really discriminate in some way, right across the board. So So how does one really handle this in some way? I mean, I absolutely agree with you that, you know, we are undergoing, you know, in some ways, an age of racial discrimination. And in some ways, it's just not racial discrimination. It's, you know, everything we have believed in in some way uh, defined you know discrimination as it's interesting it's all happening now right as you know as we speak Uh, and it's so interesting that how do we really deal with this uh, especially with data and and I don't think everybody really understands that the human rights are being violated here yeah well I I think I think the starting point kind of goes goes to to what I was saying which is visibility Um, Mm. and and to take um, discrimination is the 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 point here so Mm. ibm have dropped their facial recognition technology Mm -hmm. so they're they're dropping billions of dollars of research why are they doing it well because they're worried their technology is racially discriminative and it it probably is i mean it undoubtedly is uh, is why they've dropped it um a year or so ago um amazon was uh, amazon's facial recognition technology was investigated or reviewed Uh, And it found this, this investigation found that one in every 10,000 white men uh, had a false positive match. One in every thousand black men had a false positive match. And so it's the efficacy of this technology by the nature of the way that uh, black men were falsely identified with a positive match with a far greater frequency than white men made it racially discriminative. Um, 
Now, the problem there is not to simply stop using the or to stop developing the technology, because that leaves a vacuum for bad actors to develop it. Let's not forget that you've got lots of companies out there that are still going to do that. I mean, Palantir, I'm sure they've got some interesting facial recognition technology. Do you think they're going to stop using it just because there's a few grumpy consumers out there? No, of course they're not. Is it right to be upset and alarmed and absolutely outraged by some of the way that technology works? Yes, absolutely. But simply stopping the development of it doesn't stop its use. We're burying it. And this is the problem with discrimination and technology. Companies are so scared about the potential backlash of being perceived as racist mm -hmm. and consumers being fair to companies, consumers also are too easily outraged by the things they don't understand. But you end up in this stalemate. You end up with two sides being overly extreme in what they're doing. None of this, by the way, is to suggest that it is ever acceptable to discriminate. But mm. the point is that the, the way to solve a, a situation like IBM's facial recognition solution would surely have been to just make it more visible about the effect that race, that um, facial recognition technology was having. Mm -hmm. Like if, if people understood more, they would be able to point out the problems earlier. It's like in, I mean, it, it, at the moment, discussion of race is a lot easier because of the BLM movement. It is, right. it is instantly opened up the conversation. Yep. Yep. The, the problem of course and, and this, is, this is very true. If you were to take Brexit in the UK as a great example, when Brexit happened, when the vote came in, everyone was shocked because all of the polls said it won't happen. The reason the polls said that was because the people that were voting for it were too scared to talk about why they wanted to vote for it because they felt that if they spoke about it, they would be called racist. And so what that meant was that actually the problem got worse simply because we couldn't have the conversation about it because people right. were too scared of what the other side would think. The same mm. is true with discrimination in technology. The companies and the brands that are dropping their use of technology in this space, if you look at it, are all of the ones that have a consumer-facing consumer brand or mm -hmm. sell products to consumer-facing brands mm -hmm. because of a fear of the consumer backlash. And yeah. so for me, technology technology will discriminate i mean yeah. like to train it any other way would inherently be discriminative as well to stop it discriminating you have to train it to be positively discriminative which <laughs> in 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 the immediate short term might be the solution yeah. but we as society we have to accept we are not all the same we do hold different views right. and equally to to humans holding different views technology will hold different views mm. you as a consumer should not simply say i opt not like that technology shouldn't exist as a result of the view it holds as, a, as an organization as an individual there should be a certain amount of freedom that the point should be there should be better safeguards in place to ensure that that technology cannot affect a person who has not chosen to use it right right mm. makes sense I didn't mean to, you know, move you towards this 
serious path. It was supposed to be a lighter conversation. <laughs> no, but it's, but it's, but this, I mean, this, this is the interesting thing. Yeah. Any, any conversation about race inherently yeah. becomes quite serious be, yeah. because people are quite scared about what the other side might, might think or That's feel. Cool. And, and I think I'm, I'm quite, um, whether arrogant or confident in, in I will happily talk with someone about my views on, on how the technology in this space works because if, if someone doesn't believe me, that's fine. Like it, it's totally okay, but I'm not going to just, to just be a person that won't talk about it. Um, and, I, and I think the same is true also. Um, and, and this is a very, very controversial kind of viewpoint to have that, um, for, for example, um, uh, Silicon Valley at the moment, West Coast mm. of America, are homogenizing the definitions of right and wrong, not just in race, but in society as a whole. It is upon them, they believe, to determine what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And this is why I don't agree with some of the arguments around their responsibilities of taking down certain content. I think they should take down anything that incites violence and incites a person being physically harmed. Yeah. But I disagree with the idea that they should take down something just because it hurts a person's feelings or because they don't agree with it. Mm -hmm. uh, should they fact check things? Subjective decision. I don't know. I don't ever think that that's feasible, primarily because who could fact check something there was a fact check website in the uk that published a fact check on the um track and trace capability that was released uh, by google and apple last week uh, and the fact check article was wrong and that's one of the biggest fact checking websites in the world and it Amazing. took me emailing them pointing out that their fact check was wrong and i only found out about it because someone sent me the fact check to tell me that my fact was wrong and it took me then going to them, telling them their fact check was wrong <laughs> to actually get the real fact put in the, in the public domain. So this is like, <laughs> who is the source of truth? And so at the moment, the big tech companies are, are trying to position themselves as those arbiters of right and wrong and of truth. Um, and, and so that in itself creates a very West Coast view of society that the rest of the world should accept. So if you are in a, in a Middle Eastern country where you may prioritize a certain gender's rights over, over another, which in our Western society we agree is absolutely wrong, and you shouldn't do that, quite equally, who are we as a Western society to tell them that? Yes, we can, we can lobby for that, and we can tell them that in our point of view that is wrong. Mm -hmm. But is, like, if, if Google doesn't agree with that, Mm -hmm. Is it not just upon Google to withdraw from the market and make their service unavailable to that market? Right. Not to like, I, I, and I don't know the answer to all of this. Like there is no answer. It's so. So, I, I mean, I almost feel the need for all these big tech giants to have, uh, I mean, I'm sure they do. However, it's quite small, uh, you know, in some ways a human rights team or like an AI ethics team, which I believe they do. I just don't think they take them very seriously. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I totally agree. I, I, and I was on a panel with um, Gary Kasparov about this uh, last year, talking about uh, companies that have um, AI ethics committees. Let's remember the first thing, all the people on those committees have paid a lot of money to be on those committees. That's the first thing. The second thing is, no doctor in their right mind wants to be on the ethics committee for deep mind because you know it's going to do some naughty things to make lots yeah. of money who's going to put their name to that well you you get paid to put your name to that and as soon as you're paid surely that undermines the premise of, of what you're doing exactly um, so so ethics committees i i think are like they they're short-lived and actually um 
I, if I recall correctly, the DeepMind ethics committee lasted for about six months <laughs> before it was disbanded. Yeah. Um, human rights, however, I, th I think is a different case because ethics yeah. are, are subjective and relative. Mm. Um, there should not be any one ethical standard, or there, there cannot be any one ethical standard. Everyone, everyone's perception of what is right and wrong is relative to them right. and the society they yeah. live in. Human mm -hmm. rights, however, I think there can be. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's why we center on the human rights side of things, because um, it, 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 ethics is a very retrospective thing where it says, was it right to make that decision? I mean, yes, there's some foundations that are put in place, but when you challenge someone on it, the question is then like, was that the right thing? Human rights are all about the effect it has on a person's life. And they're, they're a lot more clear cut. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. Absolutely. Well, great. Uh, I think I've uh, used up a lot of your time. I, <laughs> I mean, as I said, I didn't intend it to go in this direction, but I did want to really appreciate you spending this uh, hour with me. Uh, and I did want to leave you with one question. I don't know whether it's a thought, but I did want to ask you, I do this with all my guests, if that's okay. Sure. Um, so if I had to ask your mom, it's a slightly, I would say, a softer kind of a question. Yeah. And it's not really as hardcore as we got in the past. Now. <laughs> but if I had to ask your mom to look into the deepest corner of your heart, into the deepest corner of your heart, what would Nick's mom find in there? Ooh, good question. Uh... Except her and a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I don't know. <laughs> 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 I'm just saying, uh, you know, any, yeah. I mean, anything, it could, it could be, uh, you know, an aspect of life yeah. or it could be also an individual or a yeah. thought or anything you hold very dearly to your heart. It could be skiing also. I, I looked that up, but I'm not yeah. going to feed that information into your heart. <laughs> so look inside right. and tell me what's there. <laughs> I, I guess there's, there's, there's the superficial one, which is I love Sunday roast dinners. I, I, like that, <laughs> that is, that is the, the kind of, if if you were to if you were to ask my mum what do I love, uh, yeah. it, it would be Sunday roast dinners. Um, like I, I I used to I used to take over cooking them from from her when I was a kid because I wanted the roast potatoes done in a very specific way and and much oh, nice. like the rest yeah. of my life, <laughs> I have, if you want it done the way you want it, then you do it yourself. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so so Sunday roast, and I guess the other part of it is uh, I think she'd probably say that I'm a very loyal person. Um, Mm. I I have a lot of my own kind of quirks and idiosyncrasies and uh, like a lot of odd things about me, but um, I I am I I think uh, and and she would say this a very loyal person and and I'm loyal because I I realise that it like there's there's very few people in the world that you can truly trust to to be looking mm -hmm. out for your best interests and and when you find those people uh, you you have to kind of reflect that with loyalty to them. Um, so yeah, loyalty to Sunday roasts and, and loyalty to, to kind of the people in the world around me. Well, cheers to that. So that was Nick. I really hope you enjoyed our candid and free-flowing conversation and took away something from it. This is Avi, your host, signing off. Do watch out for our next episode by following Your Other Side on all major podcast platforms. Until then, keep exploring your other side.